Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Well, welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Steel Talk, and I'm your host, Geraldine Steele, and I'm excited for my my guests in this 8 o'clock hour. The first guest is Allison Wolf. Who is she? Spanish teacher at Eisenhower Elementary School in Hopkins, Minnesota. Now, it seems like summer just started, but we're only weeks away from schools getting back in session. How can parents help their children begin to transition to their school year schedules? That's a big question. And to help give us a guide, we turn to Allison Wolf, the Spanish teacher at Eisenhower Elementary School in Hopkins and the 2023 Minnesota Teacher of the Year finalist. She is jumping in on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline to join us. How are you, Allison? Hey, I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for having me here to talk about this topic. Well, congratulations for your being a finalist for the Minnesota Teacher of the Year. That's a really big deal. Um, and I just wondered, it, does it, did it inspire you to stay on? Did it inspire you to do even more to try to make sure that these children can get um, not just better, but even caught up? They've lost so much time, so much knowledge. Um, I learned years ago that one summer can change everything your children have read, all of the math they've learned, all of it. Um, and I wonder if people really still understand that. Um, and I'm concerned, and I know you're concerned as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it was a great experience being able to meet so many um, wonderful educators around the state of Minnesota and just hearing all of the stories of the work that's happening you know, across our schools. Definitely, like you said, was an inspiration. People are you know, getting out, doing a lot of hard work, being creative. And so, yeah, it was definitely an inspiring year and inspiring experience. So many children have lost so much, as I said earlier. So I wonder how can parents help their children begin to transition to their school year schedules? I don't think it's going to be easy. Tell me what you think. Yeah. So when I start to think about getting back to school, helping our students get back to school, I really think of three different categories that caregivers can be thinking about. Um, So those would be really preparing your child socially, emotionally, preparing your child physically, and then helping them to jump back into academics. Um, So I have a bunch of different kind of tips and tricks that I can go through for those three areas. Um, But just kind of putting it out there that, of course, caregivers, you know your child the best. So, you know, focus on one area, focus on them all. um, But just, you know, these are some options for you. Um, So when I think about social-emotional preparation, one of the things that I think is a good starting point for everyone is just to ask your child how they're feeling. If there is any anxiety or stress coming up, you know, brainstorm together. What are some of the things that you're most worried about? And then empower your child to really think proactively. What can I do if that worst-case scenario happens? You know, how am I going to react? And that can be really powerful to kind of think through that together. Another thing that I think about is, Across the state of Minnesota, we know that our students, especially in primary, are learning a lot of regulation strategies like breathing techniques, um, cross-body tapping, things like that. And so, you know, maybe students haven't been practicing those skills as much throughout the summer. Um, It'd be a great time to just have a conversation with your child, 
say, hey, what tools do you have in your toolbox if things get hard or frustrating or, you know, cause anxiety so that they can, you know, again, have a response um, to that frustration. Um, and then the last thing that I would say in terms of social emotional um, preparation would be um, providing sentence stems for your student before school starts. When we think about our kids that we know really well in our classroom, you know, as teachers, we're looking for, you know, what are certain kids triggers? What are their really individualized body cues that they're giving off, you know, before a big emotion occurs? But as a kid goes into a new classroom, uh, that teacher isn't familiar with those cues. And so they may not be able to kind of mitigate the stressful reactions quite as quickly. So as a caregiver, if you can really have your students start um, practicing things like, I'm feeling frustrated because blank. I Can I do blank and brainstorm? So maybe it's, can I take a one-minute break? Or maybe it's, can I get up and take a little walk? Or, you know, can I have a hug? But really um, empowering students to tell how they're feeling to their new teacher, why they're feeling that way, and then what can sometimes help. So those are kind of some basic um, strategies I might start thinking about in terms of social-emotional preparation. But I'll pause there and see, um, you know, what else you want to dive into. So the school that you're teaching at, um, are you seeing children from all types of walks of life, uh, from various uh, people of color, that sort of thing? Are you seeing a lot in that school? Yep. We're, um, we're a school right in Hopkins, Minnesota. And yes, we definitely have um, students from all walks of life, all experiences. Um, and yes, it's a great learning environment. It, it amazes me how many children um, uh, in different articles and even books where they find nothing but pain, you know, maybe someone that they knew last year and they are both still at the school, but now they don't have the relationship that they had the last time. And it, some say it's because of the big gap in the summer. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we don't mm-hmm. keep them, if we don't make sure that the children stay on top of it, who should make sure that they stay on top of their work, even during the summer? Um, so I understand your question. It's kind of, um, you know, losing out on those relationships. Um, so a lot of times kids will have really strong attachments to a specific adult, maybe a specific, you know, assistant or teacher. And then, you know, losing that over the summer can be challenging coming back in. So, I mean, like you said, it was a really inspiring year this year getting to hear stories of educators. And I think that educators across Minnesota are really good about going back and checking in with students, even if they aren't currently in their class. And so really getting them back engaged into the school system and really being sure to transition students um, thoughtfully up into the next teacher, up into the next grade. And so they still maintain those bonds, even as they're creating additional bonds, you know, with new staff, but also with new kids. Um, So it can be an exciting time of year. It can also be a stressful time of year for sure, you know, for, for caregivers and for students. But we're excited to build those new bonds as teachers. There's so much that they learn, a different education on the buses. I I have experienced that when I I have two children, in fact, and they are now grown adults and um, doing very well. But I made sure that they only took the bus. Now, this was me because I'm that type of mom. I said, Mm -hmm. no, you could not take the bus except one semester. I will give you one semester and let's see how it goes. And the things they brought home that were being taught, literally shared with other students on the bus was shocking. I'm just curious to know, as a teacher today, um, children are on the bus all over the place. Are you seeing a difference in the children that are on the buses versus those whose parents bring them or they have a ride or a share uh, a ride to come to the school? Um, I mean, I think it is fair to say that, you know, every family is different. Every need is different. So, you know, kids come to school walking, riding on bikes, 
riding the bus, coming in cars, carpools, and the same going home. But um, we really do our best to, you know, provide the best education we possibly can, no matter, you know, how kids are getting there or from school. And then we're definitely sure to partner with parents, you know, if there are challenges and any mode of transportation just to be there as a support, you know, as kids are coming on the bus or getting off the bus or, you know, whatever mode of communication or mode of transportation they're using. Tell me, um, and this is the last question, tell me what is it that you love about being a teacher? Oh, there's so many things. It's hard to fill it just down into one. Um, I would say the best thing about being a teacher is empowering kids to tell their own stories. Um, in their own way, in their own voice. And I think that's one of the reasons that I love being a language teacher so much, you know, being in Spanish immersion is kids are learning to express themselves in more than just one language and to tell their stories in more than just one language and really share who they are authentically. And I think seeing kids grow into that um, is just so exciting. And yeah, it's just a really powerful experience. It is a, a powerful experience. And of course, they say those th- children who are in those um, like Spanish and French and um, so much more Chinese, those schools, they're learning so much faster than those who do not go to those type of schools. And if that is the truth, then maybe there's a different way we need to look at it. What do you think? Mm, I mean, I do really fight for access to language for you know all students. I think that learning another language can be a great benefit. There are also other great programming, you know, we have through Minnesota, you know, with art schools or STEM schools, there's, you know, so many different areas um, in education that are super strong. For me personally, it's the passion of languages combined with content areas. But I think there's so many ways to challenge kids and move them towards what their dreams and goals can be um, and what their caregivers' goals and dreams um, with them are as well. So. I apologize. I said that was my last question. This will be my last question. I promise. Thank you so much, Allison. So here's the thing. I'm concerned about students with books. I'm always, every time I perform or I am um, um, presenting in front of children at any of the schools, I always Mm -hmm. ask to go into their library. I want to see the books that are in the library. And Mm -hmm. I'm just curious to know at your school, the the Spanish Immersion, I'm curious to know what that is like Um, when you look at the books that are already in the school or maybe new teachers are coming in do you all get together is there a group of you that says okay we need new books we need different books I'm so glad you asked that books are definitely one of my passions I think it is critical to highlight you know every aspect of you know a child's identity so neurodiversity ability language um, you know orientation everything and so I think our books have to really reflect um, all of our students and their family situations Um, And I know that's a project that we're always working on at my school as well. Um, We've had some outside partnerships that have like done fundraisers for us and given us money to then get together and continue to expand our Spanish library, expand our English library. We have some books in Somali, um, Arabic, Mandarin. So it's a project that's ongoing. Uh, There's always great new children's literature coming out, but we really work hard to do our best to, you know, represent all of our students um, and find books that they're going to cherish for the rest of their lives. So Yes, I love that question. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that you too are on board for this because some schools are really lacking when it comes to reading for the children. Really lacking. Some of the books are just torn up. And I know my daughter, she, wow, you know, reading is a big deal for her with her children and her. My oldest granddaughter reads, you know, incredibly well. And I just say to myself, stay on top of it, Geraldine, because my daughter stays on <laughs> top of it all the time. So there you go, her and yeah. her husband. So thank you, Allison, for joining 
joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for sharing um, what how important it is for uh, social emotion, uh, emotional, because that is truly important. Thank you so much. And yes. I hope you have a great year. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks. Take care. That was Allison Wolf, you guys, Spanish teacher at Eisenhower Elementary School in Hopkins. All right. If you know what you can do for to help parents with their children as they begin to transition to their school year, please call them. You know, if you have neighbors with children that get on the bus with your children, or even if it's on a different one, find out what the parents are doing. Do you have these books? Or are you getting more books? Are you finding new ways to teach the children before school starts? That's a really big deal. All right, everyone, I want to let you know that our next guest starts at um, 8.35, and it's Dave, oh, I hope I get his name correct, Moyo. I love that last name, <laughs> Dave Moyo. He's a staff writer, and Fierce Healthcare uh, is called Fierce Healthcare, and I'm looking forward to talking to him about this whole deal with Sanford Health and Minnesota-based Fairview Health. And, um, wow, this has been a big issue. And now we get a chance to say, yeah, we got it. It's done. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back, everyone, as we wrap up this half hour. It is quite remarkable what is happening with children in schools. And I know that so many teachers really do care. So many of them do care. However, I also believe that the parents have to get on top of this. And the challenge I know of is that there are parents who don't have the means to hire a sitter or to have someone come in the house and and be the um you know the one that would take care of the children it's difficult the parents are going off to work and the children need to go to school um are they getting what they need and in my heart and head i don't think they are especially in public schools and i love public schools i am a public school child adult today <laughs> seriously I loved the schools that I went to. I was born and raised in Gary, Indiana. And one thing about Gary, Indiana, it was so important for education. The schools that I went to were wonderful. I loved the learning. And when it was time to go to junior high, same thing. You go to high school, same thing. I loved it. The, the teachers so loved pouring in all of their knowledge as much as possible so that we can flourish as we become adults. Today, it's a whole other experience. <clears throat> Maybe your school, and you're very fortunate, maybe your children go to a school and you say they get everything they need to succeed. But when it comes to education, it's a lot to that. We can never let it go. Like I said earlier, one summer, one summer can change everything the child has learned, and now they have forgotten it. So as you look at what is coming, okay, we know that these children are going to go to school. We hope so. 
We hope that it will be even better that everyone is prepared at the schools, including the children. Like in college, right? I'm almost done with my master's degree. I can't wait to finish it. All these books that I have, I'm going to hold on to them because you never know when you'll need them. Think of our children, those that are in kindergarten to sixth grade. Think of those. Does it make sense for them to just keep one set of books and never, ever look to adding to those? And every school has the ability, I believe, to make sure those changes are made, or at least I hope so. So pay attention to what your children are talking about. Listen to them. Sit down and have dinner with them. Sit down and have breakfast with them and say, how was your ride You're about to get on the bus now. What are you guys going to talk about? You'll be shocked if your children tell you the truth. And my children told me the truth. I'm a lucky one. And I heard what was going on, and it was absolutely shocking. They only did it for one semester. So please, do your due diligence. Make sure you get in front of every teacher that your children have. Make sure you sit down with them. Tell them how grateful you are that they are there and let them know that your child is also the one that really matters to them, not just the teacher, but their children as well. Fight for them. All right, we're going to take a break. And coming up next will be the weather. Welcome back, everyone. It's such a pleasure having you sticking and staying with us tonight. We really, really appreciate it. This is a subject that um, everyone has been talking about. So here we go. After months of delay, the processed merger between South Dakota-based Sanford Health and Minnesota-based Fairview Health will not happen. Now, this week's announcement comes with a lot of questions about the future of the two organizations. Fierce Healthcare is a national news outlet that provides articles on important subjects across the industry. Staff writer Dave Moyo has followed the progress of this story, and he joins us now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline to discuss some of the impacts from the failed deal. Welcome, Dave. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Coming in hot from the East Coast. Happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy that you're joining us tonight. Okay, the bottom line is that Sanford and the the Fairview Health Services said Thursday that they are dropping plans to merge. Now, some people were really surprised by that. Were you? Uh, Yes and no. I would say a lot of the delays were a bit abnormal, and there was definitely some pretty staunch um, opposition to the deal, both from uh, ground level. You got unions were very against it. You got legislators, governor. Uh, University of Minnesota Medical Center, um, University of Minnesota Health uh, had also kind of been very concerned. And the two delays and then the second delay didn't have a, hey, we're aiming to close by X date. That is a lot of things kind of stacking up together that made it, you know, not totally unexpected. Yeah. They talked a lot about Minnesota stakeholders. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. So, um, as you just said, Stanford Health is not based in Minnesota. Um, right. They do. They are active in some of the markets in the state, but um, Fairview Health Services, which owns uh, two of the University of Minnesota's uh, major facilities, um, University of Minnesota Medical Center, the flagship, and Masonic Children's Hospital, uh, mm. by that merger happening, there's concerns that those facilities would be controlled by an out-of-state entity. And 
when you go to the universities, they usually have their uh, mission statements. And one of them is, of course, to do what's best in the public interest for uh, residents of the state. So when we were seeing um, the Attorney General in Minnesota, Keith Ellison was holding hearings asking for public comment on what are what's everybody's thoughts on the deal. And very frequently, a lot of what came up is out-of-state interest. And not just that it's out-of-state, it's a large entity and creating an even larger entity. And will they always do what's best in the best interest for Yeah, this announcement was a significant turn. It's in the article uh, from just a few days ago. On Tuesday, a Fairview representative sent an NPR news reporter a statement that seemed to signal the merger plans were on track. How is it that it can be on track and then so quickly not be, especially for something this big? Well, what I think is interesting about that is that it was a Fairview that said that a couple days ago. my understanding, one, the announcement initially came out of Sanford and my conversations with a representative over at Sanford, it seems that the decision to call it quits was made on the Sanford side initially by their uh, board of directors. And then within a few hours on Thursday, they let Fairview know and then the announcement came later that evening. Um, so maybe, you know, reading the tea leaves here, but maybe a little bit of that more of the block came from the Sanford side saying, oh, we're not we're not getting the support from the stakeholders we're looking for here. Maybe it's time to unwind this a little bit. Um, that being said, if you also look at the finances of these two organizations, I think that Sanford is uh, operationally a little bit healthier than Fairview um, in terms of, you know, they had they made operating income. They made money from providing health care services in the last their last fiscal year, Fairview did not. Fairview lost over $300 million providing health care services to its uh, communities. If, if you ask me, I think Fairview maybe financially would need it a little bit more, but it does seem to me that Sanford was the one who said, okay, there's, there's just too many barriers here. We're trying to push our way through. Um, I don't know if we discussed it yet. There was even legislation almost tailor-made in Minnesota to kind of blow up this deal a bit. Tell me more about that. Are you t- are you suggesting the University of Minnesota is Mary Turner by any chance? Uh, could you clarify? What do you mean? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you, sir. Uh, what do you mean by um, University of Minnesota is Mary Turner? Could you just clarify that? Well, in a, in other words, I was wondering about University of Minnesota and how they are responding to this the uh-huh. ending of this possible merger. And if if they had a big voice, which I have been told they had a really big voice in this, is that what you were thinking about when you s- stated that? Uh, a little bit less. I was thinking um, Fairview, which is separate from the university, but runs some of the university's hospitals. Just looking at their finances is what I, I was thinking in terms of the organization coming together. But you're totally right that the university itself was one of the ones saying, hey, this is moving way too fast um, earlier this year. The university actually reached out to the state government and asked for about $950 million to purchase back their hospitals because they were concerned about this deal going through and their facilities being run externally, um, externally meaning out of state. Uh, I, I won't profess to know uh, anything about how they feel. If I, Based on their prior actions and a lot of their concerns, I have to think that they're, they're happier that this was the outcome that came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, all that being said, they're... There was um, legislators and 
Governor Tim Waltz were seemed to be a little bit concerned about this going on earlier in the year, just about a month or two ago, I guess. Uh, they did pass a law, uh, HF 402, that basically gave the Attorney General more power to enjoin and unwind healthcare transactions like this that would hamper the school from pursuing its public care mission and if it was an out of state entity. I, I don't know, I just think there's a lot of different forces coming together. And I mentioned before briefly, Unions not being on your side, never a great thing. Unions don't seem to love when health systems come together and be large scale, just a general fact. But they were very vocal about this one as well. Just a lot of parties fighting against it. And I think eventually Sanford decided to call it quits. Just mm, called it quits. Um, it also says in the article, had the merger gone through, the combined company would have been based in Sioux Falls and led by Sanford management. I don't know why that shocked me, but it did. Did it shock you? <laughs> uh, not so much. Um, if you look at the two organizations, Sanford was a little bit bigger. I have to imagine they had a bit more sway at the bargaining table there for that component. And, um, you know, they're based in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, but they extend into multiple states in the greater Midwest area. So, And just if you look at the scale of them, Sanford runs 47 hospitals, Fairview 11, Um Sanford employs about 17,000 more people. It sees a ton more patients. I think definitely they're the ones with a bit more sway. So then when the headquarters goes out of state, you could see why some of these stakeholders, as you said, um, the school could be concerned. Well, I tell you, this was the second time in a decade that Sanford and Fairview have failed to complete a proposed merger amid opposition in Minnesota. If that is the case, do you think they'll try again? Not anytime soon. <laughs> no time soon. <laughs> I oh, it's a little weird that they tried to go for it again within a decade. Maybe I don't know if they're a combination of hoping that the uh, ecosystem changed a little bit, or um, just speaking in a macro broader sense. Uh, a lot of health systems have been kind of eyeing some consolidation, merger, acti- acquisition activity just uh, over the course course of the COVID nineteen pandemic, especially as they're. Uh, The financial situation changed a little bit for a lot of these hospitals and health systems. So you're seeing a lot more of them come together and try to leverage that economy Mm -hmm. to scale has come together. Though, on the subject of bad history of failed mergers, uh, it should be mentioned that Sanders kind of had some pretty bad luck in the past couple of years in general. They tried to merge with Advocate Aurora Health. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I, I read my notes incorrectly. They tried to merge it with Intermountain Healthcare at a certain point, and that didn't go well. Not they had another all. merger a little bit before that also kind of hit some roadblocks. They've just been they've been trying to get together someone, and it just hasn't been able to put it together. So, is this something they want to do, or something they have to do? Is that why they keep trying? I think. I think it's. I'm again. I'm not in the room where the. The deals happen if we're going to quote Hamilton on this, but uh, um, I would say it's maybe leaning a little bit more towards want to do than have to do. Um, like I was just saying, in recent years, a lot of these larger health systems have been keeping an eye out for chances to grow um, for various concerns for reasons. Maybe they're not bringing as much money as uh, consistently without high expenses as they would like to, and. It's a, it was a chance to expand their reach into the Minnesota market. Um, healthcare, compared to a lot of other industries, is very local. Um, somebody in 
New Mexico has a heart attack, they're probably not getting their care in uh, North Dakota. Those are rare exceptions aside. So any chance that these um, organizations are seeing for a cross-market merger where they're mostly not in competition with each other, but they can expand their catchment area in their communities is something they're becoming increasingly interested in, especially since these cross-market mergers are less scrutinized by federal regulators than when um, the hospitals and health systems are in the same market and maybe suddenly could wield monopoly power. So it's bringing it back to the uh, Stanford and Fairview deal, I thought it was interesting that this didn't have any opposition from federal regulators because it was cross-market and federal regulators aren't super big into that currently. But it was the state that stepped in and said, hey, we want you to slow down. We, we're running an inquiry. We need more answers and doing the investigation that eventually put up enough roadblocks to make it uh, peter out. Yeah, and I'm grateful for that. You know, when in doubt, don't. There you go. Dave, <laughs> Dave Moyo, thank you so much for joining us tonight, really. Um, it, it was exceptional. And if they decide to do it again, I hope that you and I can talk again. So, again, thank you. You are the staff writer at Fierce Healthcare. Keep it up. Keep giving us information. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be on. All right. Take care. All right, everyone. Um, we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, if you want to comment on what you think about the Sanford Health. We'll only have a few minutes. Um, just call us at 651-461-9226. Again, that's 651-461-9226. Who did you vote for? Did you think Fairview and Sanford would um, actually go for it and merge? Or did you say, mm -mm, we knew it wasn't going to happen? Let us know. We'll be back. It is now 8.52 here at WCCO. Welcome. We'd love to hear from you if you'd like to text us or you'd like to use that voice of yours and get online and uh, call us at 651-461-9226. We'd love to hear from you about this merger thing. How did you feel about it? Did you want uh, Sanford? Did you want and, and Fairview? Did you want them to merge? Did you say you were disappointed or did you say, good Lord, so thankful that they didn't merge? Mergers are a trip. Jonathan, they are a trip. Sometimes they can take, you know, years and years and years. You know, they're big, big mergers out there. And this one is not small. That is for sure. So I don't know about you if you've ever been to Sanford. I've never been to Sanford. I've been to Fairview, but I've never been to Sanford. Um, so I'm just curious to know if they're going to try again. What do you think? Well, I think the, the question that you had at the end of that interview was a good one because I didn't realize that this was the second time that they had tried this merger. So you would think that maybe, I don't know if it was the same people in charge of the companies that did this a second time, or if this was new leadership that tried to do this a second time uh, without, I guess, previous knowledge or, or more knowledge of what happened before. So if you get new leadership in there, will they try again? I don't know. That's, I think that's a good question to, to ask. Well, a spokesperson with Sanford Health in an article said, Sanford's board of trustees made the decision to stop the process at a new meeting on Thursday and informed Fairview CEO James Hereford uh, a few hours later. So they were already rolling, you know? They were already talking. They were already rolling. 
mergers to me scare me sometimes because they can be so powerful. They become twice as large or, you know, three to four times larger. And a lot of us sit back and go, oh, that's cool that they merge. Sometimes it's not cool. Sometimes mergers break up. You remember that uh, uh, AOL and Time Warner or something, was it? Yeah. Yep. AOL, Time Warner. Yep. That was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. It took forever, it seemed. It took forever. It, so, it's, especially with stuff that large, when you're yeah. looking at and, – and that's, you know, AOL Time Warner is just Gigantic. several times the size of what Sanford and Fairview was going to be as far as a financial scope. But still looking at that whole idea of mergers, now the biggest thing – that was being discussed with this was you're getting pushback from the state of Minnesota. This is going to be a multi-state thing. Anytime you merge something, you're, you're, you have other customer bases, sometimes other state entities, sometimes federal entities that you have to work through and work with to get it completed. And so if they didn't have all their ducks in a row, was this even worth it? Well, they thought it was worth it. <laughs> you know, like like I said in the article uh, earlier, it said that they were getting very close. They expected this to go through within a few days, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, nope, not going to happen. Um, I, I was surprised when you talked about how large these two are. Um, it says the two t- entities are huge employers and care providers. Uh, Minneapolis-based Fairview Health has 35,000 employees and more than 5,000 medical providers and nearly a dozen hospital campuses. Now, Sioux Falls, South Dakota based Sanford has 46 medical centers, more than 220 clinic locations and 44,000 employees. Wow. That's awfully close. I'm curious to know the big difference between the two. Do you know? I don't. And, and, like Mr. Moyo was saying, Sanford is the bigger deal here because of the number of hospitals that they serve or they they run and the larger staff overall that they have in comparison to Fairview. Mm-hmm. And so having all of that in in consideration when Minnesota is the larger state, it's the bigger state, it's the more well-known state, that's interesting to see that the roles kind of reversed. Yeah, but at the same time, what what's really important to me is that it's the best one. Which one is the best one? And if you're going to merge, you need the best of the best at each one. That's what we don't have clarity on. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking and staying with us. And, of course, coming up next is Center Stage, all things arts and entertainment, but you just got to know about it. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.